Hey everybody, uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So, so glad that you have uh, joined us. Listen, as each week goes by, I find myself longing more and more for us to get together again. And uh, it's coming, I promise. So hang in there. Uh, we will be together uh, soon. All right, we have been looking at famous stories of love in the Bible. Uh, to love and to be loved is the cry of every human heart. And the more you feel loved, the more whole you are. And at some point, we need to take a step back and ask the question, why? Why is it that we long for love, that we you know, make movies about love? Why, we, why do we write songs about love, create TV shows about love? Why is it that the more love you feel, the more whole you are? Well, the Bible says and that's because you were created for love. You're created for a love that's so strong, so full, that it would fill you with joy and peace and wholeness. But the Bible says that we've been separated from that love. And ever since we have been separated from that love, we've been looking for something to fill us. And in so many ways, we've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Today, we're going to look at one of my favorite stories about love. It's found in Luke chapter 15. Actually, we're going to spend the next two weeks looking at this story. If you've ever wanted to read a, a super short synopsis of the whole Bible, this is the story you should read. If you've ever wondered uh, what's wrong with you uh, deep down inside of what's wrong with the world, uh, this is the story. Maybe most importantly, if you've ever wondered how God really feels about you, this is the story you need to read. All right. Uh, before I read it, let me give you the background. Jesus has been speaking to a crowd, and the crowd is neatly divided into two groups. Uh, and there are good people and there are bad people. And the interesting thing about this crowd is that they all know that it's a crowd of good people and bad people, and they, they each think that the other group are the bad people. Think of uh, a group, a big crowd of really strong Democrats and really strong Republicans. They would all agree that there was a crowd filled with good people and bad people, but they would disagree on who the bad people really were. That's this crowd. And this crowd, instead of being Republicans and Democrats, is religious and irreligious. And because the crowd is so neatly divided, Jesus decides to tell a story about two sons. And I told you before that if Jesus ever tells you a story about two people, you are one of those people. And that means that today we are going to look at the younger son. Uh, next week we will look at the older son. But if today you do not identify and you do not see yourself in the younger son, I'll be coming for you next week. All right? Let me read the story. It's found in Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 11 through 24. This is the story. It says, Jesus continued, There's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, 
Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he had come to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is God's word. And it's true. You know, I always have three points. And so today I have three questions. And here are the three questions. Number one, why did the son leave? Why did he leave? Number two, where did he end up? And number three, what did he have to do to come home? Why did the son leave? Where did he end up? And what did he have to do to come home? First, why did the son leave? You know, one of the things that has happened here is that the son leaves, right? And he leaves the father who had loved him. And he asks the father for all of his inheritance. And then he goes away. Uh, part of the story that's interesting is it's the son that comes to his senses. The father's very stable. And what I mean by that is that it's not the father who comes to his senses. It's not the father who says to himself, oh, I should have gone to more ball games. I was too wrapped up in work, and now myself alienated my son. I will go and find him and bring him home. That's not it. The way that, that Jesus tells the story, it's the son who goes away and the father, the same father who will run to him, wrap his arms around him, shower him with kisses, shout orders to the servants, is the father he's lived with his whole life. So the question is, why would he leave? Why would he look at this incredibly good man and say to him, I want the stuff you can give me, but I don't want you? And hurt his father so deeply in doing that. What's interesting is that uh, no one I have ever talked to has ever, uh, after I've shared this story with them, has ever said to me, that's ridiculous. Nobody would ever do that. No son would ever look at his father, a great father like that, and say, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. You didn't do that when I read the story, did you? You know why? Because that's the human story. 
It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were created by God and God designed an entire world for them and gave it to them. And they said, thanks so much. We want what you have given us, but we don't need you anymore. We don't want you anymore. So this son turns to his father and says, I want your stuff but I don't want you. And every single one of us have done that in one way or another. And it's so deeply ingrained inside of us, we hardly even recognize it. I mean, even when we talk about heaven, we talk about heaven by saying, oh, will I be able to see my loved ones when I get to heaven? Will my beloved pet be in heaven? Will I be able to do the stuff that I enjoy here on earth when I get to heaven? And you know what we're saying? We're saying, you know what I'm afraid that I'll miss? is all the stuff that God gave me. And we don't think about God himself. We don't say, oh, the God who gave me all this stuff, I get to know the giver. I get to get close to the giver. That's not the way we think. When we pray. You know, I was thinking this, that when that sun came on the horizon and started walking home and the father could see that he was, you know, in rags, uh, I don't know what he thought. If I was that father and I saw my son who had done that to me walking home in rags, I'd be thinking, what if he's coming to ask for more money? But to this father, he didn't care. He just ran to him. But when I think about our prayers, my prayers sometimes, I think sometimes we pray to God and we say, God, I know I haven't talked to you much. I haven't had much of a relationship with you but I have a need, right? And what we're, we're doing is we're coming back for more money. We're saying, listen, I know I haven't paid much. I know we don't have much of a relationship, but can you do me a solid? And, you know, I know you gave me a job before, but I need a better job, whatever it is. The reason that no one reads this story and says, that's ridiculous, no one would ever do that, is because deep down we know it's our story. We know that we've all done that to God in one way or another. We have turned to God and said to him, thanks for the stuff, but I don't need you all the time. I don't need you in my life like that. And that brings me to the second question, which is where did the son end up? This is what the Bible says. And what's interesting, it, 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 Jesus doesn't give us a lot of information about this. It says this, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. We don't know how much he had or how long it lasted, but we know that it ran out. It ran out. And there's kind of this, this kind of uh, picture of a frenetic pace at which he went through that wealth. He squandered it on wild living. You know, he was just trying to fill himself up, trying to feed himself. And he ends up, at the end, running out and starving. And it made me think of all the things that we try to use to fill ourselves up. And everything that we use ends up running out over time. Whether it's your family or romantic relationships or career 
or your children or your success. Everything has a timeline. You know, there's a documentary right now on Michael Jordan, right? arguably the greatest basketball player ever, six NBA championships, amazing. That documentary is aptly named The Last Dance. And I say aptly named because everything has a last dance. Every single thing that we use that's a gift from God is temporary. And we know it's coming to an end. And at some point, we will end up where this young man ended up, which is starving. Because we have squandered our wealth. And everything that we have, family, health, relationships, success, career, all of it is a last dance. So that answers the second question, where the son ended up. Now the last question, the most important, is what did he have to do to come home? What did he have to do to come home? You know, in this story, the way the story ends, it is such an amazing ending, right? This father who has been looking on the horizon for a son, sees him from a distance, takes off running, wraps his arms around him, showers him with kisses, shouts commands to the servants, we're going to feast tonight for the son of mine who is dead is alive. The son of mine who is lost has been found. If that was a movie, the musical score that would be playing right then would wreck you because we all long for that kind of joy, that kind of love, that kind of grace, that kind of just sheer goodness. But here's the question. What unleashed that explosion of love? What allowed the son to experience it? Because that father was sitting there and it's, it's like the father looking on the horizon is just quivering with that love, waiting to just let it explode on the son. What was it? Because for a long time, the son never experienced that love that the father had for him. And the answer to that is just the beginning of one verse, verse 17. It says this, when he came to his senses, that's it. When he came to his senses, it was like the fog cleared and he finally saw something clearly. The Bible says that it describes that as the beginning of what we call repentance, which is what triggers that explosion of love. And for you to come to your senses requires you to understand two things and to do one thing. Right? These are the two things you have to understand. The first thing is this. You have to see the goodness of the Father and that you have sinned against the goodness of that Father. This is what it says. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? You know what he's thinking? He's thinking, my dad, he treats his hired servants so well. And then he says, I, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to my father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. The first thing you have to understand if you're going to experience real repentance, if you're ever going to experience that explosion of love from God the Father, is this, that you've broken his heart. Sin is not so much breaking the law of God as it is breaking the heart 
of God. That's why repentance always carries with it a real sorrow. There are tears with repentance because you realize the goodness of God and what you have done to him by saying to him, I want your stuff, but I don't want you in my life. I don't trust you to be in charge of me. I don't want you. And when that fog clears, that's the first thing you understand is say, what did I do? Because God is so good. The second thing you have to understand is that you alone are responsible. That young man said, I have sinned. I have sinned against you and before heaven. He didn't make excuses. He didn't say, well, well, listen, I know I did some bad stuff, but for 10 years, I had been in the same room with my older brother. You try sleeping in a bunk bed with that guy for 10 years. He was driving me crazy. I had to do this. That's not what he does. For, re- for you to experience real repentance, for you to really understand, you have to take responsibility and say, it's me. I'm the one who, have, who has sinned. I'm the one who has separated myself from God, and there are no excuses. And the thing you need to do, and this is the most important thing, is again, just the beginning of a single verse. It says in verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. So he got up and went. He got up and he turned back toward the father. And for you, that means you turn to Jesus because that's the whole story of the Bible. That's why Jesus in John chapter 14, verse six says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father. No one comes home to the father, but through me, unless I bring him. Jesus died on a cross and resurrected so that he could bring you home. So if you want to go home to Jesus, if you're feeling like you are separated from God, I don't care if it's miles, you feel like you're miles away from God or you feel like you're inches away from God, but there's something inside you right now where you're saying, I long to experience more of his love. This is the key. All you do is turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're the one who can take me into the arms of the Father. Would you take me there now? Because your death and resurrection, I trust. Take me home. And you will begin to experience the love of God that will make you feel whole, that will give you peace, and that will fill you with joy even now. Because the truth is, for you, And for God, love matters most.